you, you ask them, what can we cut? And they tell you, because they're not a censorship uh, organization, they're a trade organization. They say, well, we can't tell you what to cut, but we have a problem with this scene. So what should I do? Can't tell you what you should do, but you could change it and then send it back to us. But with Henry, the lady just said, Mr. Mc... I said, so what should we cut? And she goes, Mr. McNaughton, in my opinion, there's nothing you can cut. We object to the overall moral tone of this movie. Well, that was the intent. I mean, we were trying to, to have something to say about using violence for entertainment. And normally at the time, there were like Rambo pictures and that. And, you know, Rambo would go out, he'd been wronged. These bad people were making his life hell. And you'd set up a character to be evil. And then the audience would go, kill him, kill him. We want to see it. And so we go with, with the, the guy who gets the TV ray. He insults them. He gives them a bad time. And he's, he's rather, you know, reprehensible character. And he doesn't know who they are, but the audience, though. And then you, you just you feel, kill him, Henry, kill him. They were shocked by it. They wanted just gory exploitation. They, they Again, they said, John, what have you done? This is an art film. And it's like they had just taken a mouthful of dog poop. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you are warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin and Dave. Hello. 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 Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. Did you guys see the trailer for Poor Things? No, I did not. Nope. You know what I'm talking about? No. Nope. New Yorgos Lanthimos. Oh. Coming in September. The trailer is out. Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, and it looks like it's like kind of a Frankenstein riff. The man creates this female Frankenstein played by Emma Stone. It looks wild coming well, in September. I mean, we brought him in here on loosely, not horror, but just evil. So Who? it sounds like... Lanthimos. Lanthimos, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, like, it's cool that he's doing something that's like a little bit more horror. That's it, crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, looks, it still looks very comedic from the trailer. But uh, check it out. I'll post it if I get a chance. Yeah, his movies are hilarious. I'm glad that he's really keeping that thread <laughs> I going. didn't see... The, the last one, I think, was more of a comedy. I didn't see The Favorite. Because it has um, corsets in it, and I I can't. I even though I lo- I do when I watch a period piece, I always like them, but I have a hard time pulling the trigger if I know in advance there's going to be corsets and powdered wigs. I just you don't like that. I don't. I don't know why. It's tough. No. I thought you guys would be a little more excited. I sent you guys the link to uh, news of the new Leprechaun reboot. Uh, yeah. I'm no not comments. A big le- not a big. Oh, leprechaun I totally fan. missed that. I miss a lot of a lot of the threat. I'm just not a fan of Leprechaun. Like the whole series, yeah, but a reboot. I still thought that was a. I mean, does it need one? What? Imagine (laughs) in your head what the best possible outcome could be. I I don't know. It's still not even that good. We haven't talked about the first one though. We watched the fourth one in space, and some of us watched it. But maybe like a hardcore (laughs) realist, like folk horror of the Leprechaun could be good. Who knows? I don't feel like anyone's going to do this. The link you sent us had the original Leprechaun's face. Yes. So I know. I, it, yeah. If it was maybe a different face, right? A different leprechaun, like they do with Godzilla <laughs> and stuff. Like I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll check that out. But it was the same old leprechaun, and all his movies suck. Maybe <laughs> oh. even the first one. Maybe even the first one. Well, all right. The final piece of news here. I just saw a great new movie that's coming to Shutter. It's called The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. 
Right. It's getting a limited theatrical run right now. Did you know, actually, they did a screening of this at our local indie theater at the Nick, and they had the director did a Q&A last, I think it was last Wednesday we were podcasting. Wow. Yeah, it's really, really great. It's coming to Shutter. It's also a Frankenstein. That's kind of why I was. You just saw it in the theater. Yeah, I just saw it. It's fantastic. I I, did, it. I did see that on the thread. Yeah, it's it's I great. Saw that. When it when it comes to Shutter, you're gonna want to see the angry black girl and her monster. We'll probably talk about it this week. It's functioning serial killer week, <laughs> or Dave's art house killer week. Talking about uh, an old classic in a brand new movie. Where, where are we starting this week, Dave? I'm going to start with Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer from 1986, directed by John McNaughton, who's done a ton of non-horror stuff, Wild Things and all kinds of other things. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is a classic that you always see on lists of movies, and that's mostly why I picked it. I had seen it before. I didn't necessarily remember it really fondly or like had any memory of what actually happened. I just kind of knew stylistically what it was like. And stylistically, it has that like late 80s, early 90s, like independent crime drama feel. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Abel Ferrara movies. And it centers around like, like the characters and relationships. And this particular one centers around Henry, who's for what we know, is kind of like a drifter. He got out of prison. Uh, we're not quite sure what the circumstances of that were because we have a bunch of unreliable narrators here. Uh, we have Otis, uh, his friend, and his sister, and her daughter, who is only talked about, but the name Lurleen is the trillest white person name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Lurleen! <laughs> All that is Henry, uh, Becky, and Otis, and Lurleen. <laughs> Lurleen, get me my neck pillow. I'm watching Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, again. Uh, it is, it's, it's really good. There's not really like much of a dynamic arc of like story or anything like that. It reminds me a little bit of like a uh, drugstore cowboy or like independent yeah. crime films from the '90s and '80s. But it's really good. It does these things where a lot of the kills are a like an art installation. It's like when the people find the body in like Halloween and stuff like that where they pop out. But it's not set up like that. It's like a slow pan onto them. And it's just the scene of the crime, basically. It's a woman laying there dead. And she's like strangled. She has like cigarette cigar burns in her skin. And then the audio plays this struggle that you hear and what actually happened. And I, I thought that part of it, especially in the beginning, this one where there's a woman like on a toilet with like a bottle, a bottle. like in her face. <laughs> Man. Like the bottle is just broken in half and like stuck in her face. My biggest takeaway from this movie was this time watching it was how original that was as a technique that more people don't use with horror. The audio stuff in this and the, in the next movie, I think a lot of the audio work that was done post-production kind of makes these movies. Um, but I love Portrait of a, of a Henry Killer. <laughs> Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Um, it's, a it's a great movie. It's a classic. It's not a slasher. Uh, this was just in its 
own category, but still horror uh, by a non-horror director. So I like it. I love this one. This is a classic. This is one that I'd been wondering. Uh, it's always in the back of my mind. When are we going to get to Henry? But it was interesting. I haven't seen it since the 90s. And the first thing I thought when I watched it, especially after some of the stuff we've been talking about lately, my first watch on this, I was like, where's the transgression? This, this is just a bunch of sex murders. No, no big deal. What? Where's the edge? I thought this, I remembered at the time Now this was not released widely until 1990. They couldn't find distribution for this. It was made by these guys in Chicago that they were originally doing a documentary on a Chicago pro wrestler. And that fell through and they had $100,000 and they decided, well, what can we do for $100,000? A horror movie gave it to uh, McNaughton and he turned in this, which is, I'm sure, not what they were looking for art house an art house an, a, a nihilistic unblinking art house serial killer movie so once the the fact that this isn't i spit on your grave wore off and i watched it again like okay <laughs> it's coming back to me now why this was pretty edgy and this was one of the reasons they found distribution just want to shout out this movie was championed by roger ebert who came in for some punishment last week especially from kevin Kevin said, fuck you to a dead man, a beloved film critic, one of my, one of my favorites. Uh, Ebert championed this film. Uh, he got it. And I think that the thing about this movie is the sort of, it, it takes you into the nihilism of this character. He is just like a thrill killer. He doesn't even seem to get that much thrill out of it. To be honest, I think the guy in Holy Spider seems to get his jollies more. Henry just, this is what he does. He goes around, he kills people, and uh, and that's that. He has some morals. He doesn't like the sex crimes. He shies away from that, doesn't respect it, uh, and and I appreciate that. Um, this is, you know, maybe not as, oh, my God, Otis with the, um, the black Jack Daniels trucker hat and the teeth, the scummy teeth. Oh, my God, such a scumbag. At his, probation, a- at his probation meeting, he's the worst. He's like the scummiest. <laughs> it's very realistic in this. This is a very seedy. These are... This is a very underclass kind of killer thing. And uh, I, I absolutely, I think it's brilliant all the way around. Um, plenty to talk about with this one. I mean, I'll start by saying Roger Ebert is the greatest movie critic of all time. Thank you. I agree. 100%. I, I don't, I agree. but whatever. <laughs> um, hey, I'm going to give the guy shit when he needs to get shit. And I'm also going to, you know, give him credit where credit's due. But, you know, to come out and champion Henry, portrait of a serial killer. But Dude, he's say dead, that you I, win. I spit on your grave as the biggest piece of trash you've ever seen. I mean, come on. Anyway, this movie Fair. is very, very bleak. <laughs> yes. I also hadn't seen it probably since like the 90s. And like you, Trent, I was curious. Like, why was this so maligned and, you know, banned? And everyone was like, oh, my God, it's so of, horrific. Yeah. I think Dave just nailed it twice. One, it's out in the era of slashers. And when you have slashers, there's always like an air of fiction about it. Like you can go into it like you're probably not going to run into Michael Myers. Anytime Even the soon. tropes are comforting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's characters. There's like likable characters, characters you care about when they die. This does not have any of that. It's incredibly realistic. And then you called it like a crime thriller, a crime drama. But at the time like take away the slashers you also had like all of these action movies coming out where they're full of cops 
and we talk about it on the show a lot. Like you always see the detectives, and we're always making fun of the detectives, or at least critiquing the procedural stuff. There's no cops in this. Yeah, there's no hope None in this that. movie. <laughs> the whole problem with this That's movie. That's the best part about there's it. There's zero hope. Yeah. the characters suck. Like Trent, you just talked about Otis and his hat and his teeth. So gross. He was made to end up in Rob Zombie movies, which he would. Right. Yeah. I, I haven't heard Rob Zombie talk about this, but this has to be a huge inspiration for Zombie. There's nobody likable. You get absolutely no resolution. Nobody is caught. Sorry for the spoilers. And like you mentioned, like you don't know why he's in jail. You, you know, he gives two or three different reasons. Yeah. It's just a gross movie. And we talked about, you know, when I had the Poughkeepsie tapes and we were kind of talking about like how you can effectively utilize like home movies and things like that. They bring an aspect into this that is done very, very well. Brilliant. I think, I think in the Poughkeepsie Love episode, it. I mentioned like Sinister as an example of a movie that does like the little home movie thing. Well, this one fucking nails it. It's yep. very unnerving. It's really, yep. really disturbing. Um, I think out of all the movies that we talk about that go for sort of like this realism and they're usually very low budget, this one really hits it out of the park. So I don't, I, and, and we've been desensitized. So I don't think that this is super shocking because it, it shows you anything that we haven't seen before. I think it was more uh, shocking at even all these years later. It's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I watch it and I just feel like gross. There's yeah. like a film on my hands as I rub them together after I watch Henry oh, okay. Portrait slow of down, a Serial Killer. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> I I, I want to shout out Michael Rooker. Yes. Michael Rooker yes. is the lead in this, and this is one of the only movies he's a lead. He's usually like uh, a bad guy a, or like a he's villain. He's a character actor, I would say. Character actor. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, Walking Dead, he has great roles in those. But Everyone brings those from, up. No one ever mentions Mallrats, so I need to shout him out for Mallrats because he's fucking awesome. He's a guy, that. you know what? He's a character actor. He's been around. This is his debut feature film starring role. First time. And wow. I just, it's amazing what a career this guy has had. And I think he's one of those people that, I don't know, he's never been a leading man. I don't know that everybody wants to be a leading man. I would love to have a career like Michael Rooker or Willem Dafoe or something like that where he's just always doing all kinds of different stuff. And he's always believable. You always love to see him. Yeah, the guy who played Otis, who went on to do Rob Zombie stuff. Uh, yeah, Tom Tolles did yeah. a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I just, Devil's Rejects and, and some zombie stuff. But Yeah, the acting was great. Yeah, Becky in this, I couldn't stop thinking about Becky on the show Roseanne. Yeah, good call. It's so realistic. They look, it's they look the same, similar, yeah. They look the same, and it's that same, like, blue-collar down on the luck, you know, Becky is Otis's little sister. She's in the big city to make some money. She's left her kid at home That's with her mom. That's funny you say that because her name is Tracy Arnold. Wow. Connections, Ta man. Like Tom Arnold <laughs> from Roseanne. <laughs> well, he wasn't in Roseanne, but he was married to Roseanne. Right. I, I thought he was in Roseanne. Her name, well, I'm sure he probably made some appearances. Maybe did but... a cameo. But I, I really think all three characters in, in this are great. So it's the brother and sister, and then he just, Otis happens to be rooming, sharing an apartment with Henry, a dilapidated old apartment. And uh, I thought, Kevin, the, the video camera was the one of the biggest things about this movie to me. Absolutely brilliant. And I, I can't imagine intentionally, but how perfect and like how prescient is that whole angle to and how relevant to the social media era that these guys it's not enough that they're killing people they end up with a video camera that they steal from a pawn shop after killing a guy 
and they start videotaping their crimes and then going home and watching themselves the commit rewind. The crimes and rewatching. The rewind is the yes. most disturbing part of this whole movie. Yes. Well, and, 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 and silence. Right. Rewind it. Who wants to watch it again? Yeah, let me silence. see. Right, well, let me see that part again. Right. <laughs> but some of the most uncomfortable parts aren't even the killings on the home video. Some of it's watching the internal dynamics amongst the three of them deteriorate. Otis will be filming, Becky dancing, and they're having a good time. And like you just watch like the tension unfold because Henry's just sitting on the couch. He doesn't want to be filmed right now. The, like all of that stuff is done like just so so creepily. I uh, mean, Otis he, is constantly hitting on his younger sister, big time. And she confesses to Henry that she's already she's been abused by her father. You have to assume she's already been abused by Otis. It, she doesn't seem like she even thinks it's a big deal that he keeps. You know, going in for a kiss and saying, get your brother a beer. It's just, oh, my God. It's so gross. <laughs> yeah, changing into the, what, the I love Chicago shirt oh or something God. like that. Whole. Ah. And, and I think that's another reason why people were probably turned off by this movie is you are at times sort of rooting for Henry because he does end up sticking up for Becky. He's the better so of the two of them. She's even. not very educated. <laughs> you know, she obviously has been abused. She talks about that. Her brother's a fucking douchebag. And Henry's like, you know, kind of sticking up for her. So there are parts of the movie where you're like, oh, fuck, I'm kind of rooting for that guy. And then the next scene, he's just walking into someone's house and it's like, I'm just going to fucking kill this person. I love how much of this film is a stage play. A lot of it is just the dialogue because we talked about it. they had a hundred thousand dollars and they couldn't there's only so much they could do, but they had these damn good actors and I think uh everyone was involved in like the Chicago theater scene. They I think they were all kind of playhouse actors from the area is where they came from. And so it makes sense that there there's great scenes of just two or three people talking at the kitchen table in the small apartment. Becky starts to take a liking to Henry, of course, and they sort of connect to this almost like a um, Badlands, um, natural born killers, true romance type of connection between them that we've that we've seen. And this, I don't know a lot about Henry Lee Lucas. Kevin, I mean, you're my point guy on this. This was at least initially loosely based on the real serial killer, Henry Lee Lucas, right? Yeah, Henry Lee Lucas was a serial killer who ended up you know, he confessed to like 600 murders, but he's full of shit. He recanted and, a lot of them from what I understand. Uh, they just couldn't prove any of them. It was more like back in the era where you, if you were a serial killer and you kept confessing to unsolved murders and saying you knew where the body was, like you'd get a pizza party and you'd get to go for a ride and show them, quote unquote, where the body was. And then you just had like there was one particular uh, sheriff, I think, in Texas who was really making a name for himself and believing everything that Henry Lee Lucas said. But, I mean, similar situation, Otis Tool was the kind of, the he played the Otis, or he was the real-life <laughs> right. Otis character, right. where Henry really was taking somebody under his wing and being like, here's how you kill people. Um, you know, just don't have any sense to it. Just kill him a different way every time. Make oh, sure yeah. if you use a gun, don't use the same gun. He's coaching him. Uh, and yeah. Becky was, in real life, I believe she was Tool's younger sister and was only like 12 and was being sexually abused by Henry Lee Lucas. So in, in the movie, they make her Otis's sister and obviously bring her up to a more acceptable age. That, that was um, one of the things I liked about this, uh, and I don't think we see a ton of it in the serial killer movies, is the buddy killers. And yeah. that is, that's been part of 
serial killer behavior a smaller part ever since as, as far back as you want to go. You have those cases where it's like the buddies. Dave even Dave called me earlier today and <laughs> suggested maybe we want to do some thrill kills. I uh, like I like the whole thing where they're like, oh yeah, just stab one time, <laughs> and then the next time use a gun. Yeah. Next time use a chainsaw. Henry becomes uh, Otis's guru, and he takes him out. He, he, when he's frustrated with Becky, or no, he wants to kill Otis, wants to kill the kid that he sold the weed to, the high school kid, um, who he then comes on to makes a pass out. The high school kid punches him in the nose and runs away with his weed. And he's telling Henry he wants to kill this kid, and Henry say, "No, nah, no, nah, you, you'll get caught right away." Let, let's go blow off some steam. He takes him out, shows him how to kill a guy. There, there's a moment in this where there's a sweet spot where it seems like serial killing is fun. It's like yeah, these guys are like having yeah. a good time. Oh, like let's crack a beer. Let's go. Yeah, buddy killers. Yeah. Otis is not into it at first. I mean, the first time. Then he gets really into they're it. They're out getting. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. By the second time, because it's. I think it's the guy that's out of the road where he just laughs. Yeah. Or I think it'd be the TV guy. He says, like the TV feel guy. He He's is like, like yeah. way into it. <laughs> the the pawn shop guy. When Henry lets him do the honors, lets Otis do the honors of plugging in the TV that he smashed over uh, the that desk. That was a great moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just yeah. wish she wasn't already dead at that point. Well, you know, we don't know. I don't know. That <laughs> kind of put a little flair into it, at least. Has anyone seen the movie The Borrower? Never heard of it. Well, no, the it's, Borrower it's a McNaughton one, right? It's the only other foray like, into horror that he's done yeah. with Ray Don Chong and with Tom Tolls from this movie and also Tracy Arnold from this movie. I've never seen it. Cover I do recognize the cheesy. cover. It does, but maybe I'll check it out. I would consider Wild Things to be in our our wheelhouse. Well, Wild Things well, is a funny, dark like, I could bring those... wild, wild Things in here? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, hell really? yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was like well, that. I, don't think... Oh, every week's yeah, going to yeah. be so wild. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and for those, like, Wild Things, we're talking about, like, the 90s, like, Matt Dillon, Kevin Bacon. Wasn't that... Nev um, Campbell. Right. Denise, what's-her-face, Richards, I think maybe. everyone knows what Wild Things is. If this movie can be made for $100,000, then, man, like, you got, you got no excuses. Well, I mean, right? they didn't show any of the murders, really. I mean, I think that's one of the well, things. They Aftermath. Showed, they showed some. I mean, the, when they break into the house and they are, are in the middle of assaulting the couple and their son walks in and then they grab that's him, so too. Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. And then, of course, the, the murder among them that happens. Do we not think there's any ambiguity on the end? Are we 100% like oh, there's yeah. no question about what happens at the very end? I, I mean, no well, doubt. You don't know. I mean, is it, are you supposed to question if I don't know. everything's okay? I don't know. I mean, he throws the suitcase. He on, already disposed of Otis. Right. Otis was already disposed of. He throws the suitcase on the side of the road. The suitcase has some blood on it, but pretty much like all his stuff would have, I mean, that could have been from. He's in the car by himself. Yeah, I was looking I know. at that scene as the car's driving up because maybe you can't see. Exactly. No, he's, if by he's by himself. himself. He goes. He walks out of the he's, hotel room in the, in the morning, morning by himself. But is there no chance that he just left? You know, he left her there. No chance. He just threw away no all chance. her clothes. Well, he doesn't try <laughs> to hide. I mean, he threw Henry's body off a bridge. This he just like I mean, sets Otis. it on the side of the road. Yeah, I mean, Otis's body on the uh, off the bridge. He just kind of sets it almost on the side of the road. I mean, that's going to be found pretty quickly. He doesn't care. Now he has he's no on to the MO. next town. He he's has... leaving Chicago at that point. Yeah. That's what he says to Otis that you got to just keep moving. If you keep moving, I mean, this was this was in the easy days for serial killers had it easy back then. I if you know. just went from What's town to town, like Otis's DNA. parole officer right. is going to come looking for him. Focus on sex workers. Nobody knew that Becky was living with them. 
she came from out of town. Right. Running from right. like an abusive husband or something. I mean, there's right. no way to tie him back. Right. When Otis is having that laughable meeting with his parole officer and the guy's like, yeah, yeah, my kid's got like Little League or something. Gotta Can we go, wrap yeah. this up? <laughs> and Otis is just like, yeah, I haven't really been working or whatever. Like <laughs> the parole officer doesn't even know that Henry was living there. So, right. I mean, this guy is right. off the grid. Yeah. As like, DNA yeah. science advances, I regret not killing more people when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. Could have gotten away with it. I know. 80s yeah. and 90s. Easy. have been killing people the whole time. They didn't even care yet, especially if you just, if you killed um, people lower on the social status, you know, you couldn't even bother, cops didn't even want to bother with it. Well, yeah, both, but you'd be caught now. Both movies, now, especially yes. the next one. No, but you'd they be both caught have for those a, crimes then. Oh, now. right. Could catch up with I you. I mean, look at the Golden State Killer. Green River Killer. Golden State's even better. I mean... That's What's his body count? Um, I'm not sure what his body Green count. Green River is like in the 50s. He he's one of my favorite guys. <laughs> but I mean, this guy was like in his 70s, like a grandfather, just like sitting at home, and they were just like, "We have your DNA now." You're- I think the the river that runs through like both these movies is like the the apathy of yes, both films. The apathy toward the victims allow the killer right, to do exactly. so much more. Yes, than if he was targeting people that society valued more or also just cops that have biases toward whatever so right. they're not gonna you know come looking for someone who died in a you know poor apartment in chicago and this is on shutter right now shutter keeping the flame alive uh, on so many of these movies also i'm sure vod i didn't check second film we're going to talk about is Holy Spider, 2022 film that I actually just saw in 23. I thought it was brand new, but uh, it's been out a while. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's directed by Ali Abbasi. It's basically like a, a serial killer story, which seems like first you're going to be in the perspective of the victim. You become the perspective of kind of both because of a uh, a journalist that's like following the story. The thing I found most interesting about this film is one, that it's a true story, uh, and two, that it's identical to the Boston Strangler, even down to like the scarf hmm. uh, that is the signature of the Boston Strangler. Um, it happened in a different country, so you get like a different perspective. This is uh, in Iran. Um, so it plays out differently with like the justice system. This movie's like broken up into two movies where half of the movie is like a seven serial killer trying to catch the serial killer, all this dark stuff. And then the, the back half of the movie is all the justice system, the court, and how that all plays out. And I didn't expect that, and that's like what compelled me to like make it all the way to the end because I just started watching. And I was like, "Oh, it's a serial killer thing," and then halfway through, it just becomes a uh, you know society thing, a political thing. Um, I love this movie. Uh, I found it very jarring. A lot of the imagery that they use, we talked about. There's like a real blowjob like in the beginning of the movie like the cold open before the credits is a prostitute going out and like s- 
scoring drugs and tucking her kid into bed and then going and doing a real blowjob and getting murdered by a serial killer. I don't, I don't, and it's like brutal <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> you know what? I, I'll save it. I just, I don't, I, okay, okay. I dispute some of what you're saying. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but I, I like that it was in a, it was almost a similar story that we always see, but it was in a different uh, geographic location and it had a different connotation, uh, especially with the way that it was uh, prosecuted at the end. And we had talked about that last week. Yeah. I just thought, you know, the different like religious and gender biases and stuff that people have, uh, you don't really think of that when you think of all these murders and these killings and this revenge and everything and what's right and wrong and what your perspective is when you see this shit going down in a horror movie, what happens after this movie actually shows what happens after uh, and a, a more lighthearted uh, spot, which are, there aren't many in this movie. Uh, my favorite character was uh, Miss Pussy. <laughs> and it's a vagina uh, referred to in the third person. Maybe one of the most, um, she put up a lot of a fight in this. And uh, I thought she was a great character. But this movie really like stuck with me as, as far as like a, a newer movie that's come out, a horror movie from a, a country that I didn't expect horror from. And I, I really loved it, and it's on Netflix right now, so I think you should check it out. Dare I say that this is the cinema? This is the cinema, correct. Okay. All right. correct. Good. Yeah. I mean, if I have your stamp of approval, <laughs> great. Uh, good job this week, Dave. It's interesting. It's two very different movies that are also incredibly similar. So we just talked about Henry and how you get none of the satisfaction you get none of the motive you don't know what's driving henry and then at the end henry is just driving down the road in his beat up old car and on to do more henry things in this one they really put you into the 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 life of the serial killer you yeah. do get the resolution like you talked about so no cops in henry tons of cops in this one and then you get to see how the iranian uh legal system works uh and as a society really as a whole how that plays out and then it is very cool it is based on on a true story i'd never heard of this serial killer before i don't think it's coincidence that a lot of the media in this country is locked down and you don't get a whole lot of things coming out and also we're just incredibly narcissistic as americans so we really only want to see our own news uh, but the fictional part of it is the reporter that you mentioned so you get a whole perspective not just from your traditional like crime drama where you have like a manhunter or like a silence of the lambs where like you just have somebody chasing the the killer and trying to develop the story and put the pieces together you also have that under this umbrella of how women are treated in iran and that is another entire like societal aspect of this that i found pretty fascinating um it's very graphic at times but it's still very kind of slow moving but deliberate, um, and it does have a very interesting payoff. I don't necessarily want to s totally spoil the end, but I will say they had me fooled until the very end. Yeah, yeah. I thought I knew how this shit was going to go down. Yeah. I was very ready to <laughs> feel a certain way, Dave, for you to be like, well, I hadn't really heard of this one, um, not just the real serial killer, but like the movie. Um, well, the country doesn't want you to know about this movie because everyone that made it is currently banned from the country uh, with the lead actress who played the reporter uh, in exile. She can't go back to 
Iran. She's wow. now in France under exile, which only solidifies their whole point. Right? It, yes, <laughs> you know I mean? exactly. Right. They're not. Yeah, they're not exactly <laughs> arguing their point super well. Um, but yeah, uh, really, really well done. Never heard of this filmmaker, although I had seen another one of his movies, Shelley. Just didn't know that that he had directed that. But uh, this is a fantastic one. You know, probably not one I'm going to revisit, but it's totally worth a watch if you're a fan. You know, horror, serial killer, but definitely if you like like Thriller. the kind of like the socio political aspect. And like Dave said, it's I was shocked when we get into the justice system part of it. There was still like 45 minutes left in the film. Um, really cool movie. Yeah, I love this one. Um, I had seen this. I've seen this a few times now. I I, I think that it it rewards a little bit of repeat viewing. Um, this was actually screened locally at Space Gallery, and I was bummed I couldn't make it. And then uh, it popped up on Netflix. Reminded me a lot of Zodiac because you have it's the journalist story. You have not only the the lead character, but she hooks up with a local journalist. She's coming in from Tehran uh, to a smaller city, Mashhad, I believe. And so she hooks up the local journalist, who's one of the few friendly. Uh, helpful men in in the film and he's been getting calls from the killer again very zodiac also like son of sam even btk the the scenario where the killer is is generating his own press yeah he's calling in and letting him know what he's up to wants to keep his names in the papers also i did not expect at all to just be shown the identity of the killer right away you start watching this and it throws you off right away like you had said dave before we started recording I thought the first victim was the protagonist of the story. Just the way the movie comes in with the first victim and kind of shows you a little bit, kind of shows you her whole day in existence. So right away, I just thought that was my protagonist. And then it still, it doesn't show you the killer right away, but pretty soon it shows you the killer. So I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is going to be a mystery like Zodiac where you never really find out. Uh, and then, oh, okay, it's it's a whodunit. So that's weird. Uh, what's the, the movie about then if you're already showing me who the killer is that they're looking for. And then it, it goes into, um, and I, I didn't, I had no idea the first time I saw this, I didn't know it was based on a true story uh, until I was uh, looking into it after I had seen it. This was, this happened in actually like 2000, 2001. And I think that's one interesting element of this movie is that it feels very modern, but you have no cell phones. That really comes into play. There's a whole decoy operation toward the end of the movie where the journalist kind of goes undercover. She's out there posing as one of the sex workers and trying to find this guy. And there's a whole scenario where she's got her, her journalist friend is kind of like following her and trying to you know, keep her in sight and, you know, in case something bad happens. And I was thinking, call him. She's in the bathroom. She's got a recording device. Why didn't she just text the guy? And then I had to remind myself, oh, okay, this is 2000 Iran. They didn't have cell phones. Right. You know, so I, I thought that was a cool element. Um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the like Zodiac serial killer uh, type beats throughout this. I thought maybe, I don't know, at, at times I thought it got a little heavy handed with some of the points that it was making. But I think if you keep it in context, I don't really think you can be too heavy handed about it. <laughs> The, the sexual politics of Iran, it might seem much, uh, you know, for us uh, uh, when dealing with our own then issues, again, but... Is this the most we've seen of it? I mean, is this like, is this to us the, the what it's like in Iran? Like, to me, I would go to Iran right now and I would think that women were treated incredibly unequal, which yeah. might be true, 
or that I would be tried unfairly. Iran is it, not a secular nation. It's a, it's um, pretty strictly religious, and I think these things are still being, you know, all the scenes in this movie where men are telling her to put her scarf on. They, they won't even let her check into a hotel. She's coming in as a journalist, and they're telling her that single women can't check in here. What are you, crazy? Where's your right. husband? Yeah, I mean, that's... Well, it wasn't even that. They were just being sketchy about it. They were, like, trying to pretend that they were booked or there was a well, glitch. Well, that, that's why, though. Yeah, they yeah. didn't... Yeah, it was, like, unseemly. And then there's the whole the whole sort of side plot about everybody keeps saying to her, well, we've heard you you had some trouble with your last job. You you were involved with your boss. Yeah, they're calling her a slut. And it, and it, ter- it turns out that, that she was being harassed by her boss, and that's yeah. why she left. But so she gets the reputation. And, and we just saw that last week, that... The cliche, the stereotype of the promiscuous woman who can't be trusted, um, all of that stuff runs deep, deep, deep through this movie. She kind of encounters it at every turn, even the seemingly friendly initially police officer in charge of the investigation. Of course, he ends up at her hotel room wanting... uh, I just want to put it out there that I trust all promiscuous women. (laughs) Well, it's funny you talk about like her little her friend journalist. Even he is a wimp. You think he's a wimp? When they're well, when they're in positions where somebody in authority is questioning her her and basically telling her you're a woman, right? You stay in your lane. Even he's kind of looking at her like, ah, tone it down, tone it down. Right. That's well, that's the way. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're heavy-handed at all. Yeah, Um, and I'm not. I'm definitely not going to pretend to be any sort of expert on. Um, how you know people are treated in countries that I've never been to, but I mean, if anything, I'd like to uh, you know see a little bit more of that portrayed, this, un- unlike the government of the uh, the country in this film. This is the only the second Iranian filmmaker I believe we've talked about. We talked about a girl walks home alone at night, which takes place in in Iran. Um, Abbasi actually lives he lives in Europe, but I, he still has a, a passport to uh, to Iran. This was filmed in Jordan, so it looks very authentic you know to my eyes certainly yeah i guess that was the, the thing i was trying to get earlier was that i don't know anything about iran so like you could have pulled anything on me in this whole part about the politics and and the religious secular verses yeah and mashad is is a holy city uh it's a city of about i learned a few things about iran this week nice. uh, mashad a city of about 3.5 million and it's one of the holier cities and that's part of the killer's whole reasoning. I really liked his backstory that he was in the Iran-Iraq war and he has this whole inferiority complex that he wasn't martyred like all the great heroes that were in the war. He says at one point, I wish the war was still on so that he could be getting glory. He's kind of a, an incel. He's like a, a jihadist incel. You know, he, he, he feels uh, inferior and he he wishes he was martyred and he feels like he's not really a man because he didn't sacrifice himself for the cause. And so now to make up for that, he's got to overcompensate by ridding the streets of corrupt women. That's his whole rationale. And the, taxi driver complex. Yeah. And, and the thing that happens, which happened in the real story, is that there was a certain amount of public um, approval and and the, there's a certain amount of rallying of the public around this man. He becomes kind of a symbol of the good fight, even in court when they're trying to. His lawyers are trying to say he's crazy. And he's. I love when he says, "Yeah, I'm crazy, crazy for God." Yeah, <laughs> like, he's you know he's this avenging angel and he's gonna clean up the streets. He views himself as a martyr, and and I thought it was interesting that even in his family, 
he feels inadequate. He's getting shown up by his little son. He, he tries to beat his son. He can't even catch him in the park. He's getting <laughs> humiliated. He's falling down, you know, and they show him breaking down and crying at multiple points. This guy is a real, he's a wimp. He's an incel jihadist. Again, they go super in-depth in the characters in this. Another, like, I love that the whole serial killer uh, vibe is is incorporated a lot into dramas. You often see, like, crime dramas with serial killers, and I like these outskirts things that aren't kind of the things we're used to with all the horror tropes and everything. It's just realist, crazy stuff, uh, but it still falls into the, the horror genre. Well, it's interesting you talking about sort of his backstory because the other thing that they do in this movie that that I think is compelling is they show you he has a loving wife. Yeah, family he man. He has great kids. Yeah. He's got a whole support system from the war. Right, the Veterans so he has Association. There's a whole like, Veterans Association behind him. Right. So he's not necessarily lacking for anything. Yeah, what's his family it, say? It, they say something like, why is he going to just always go try saving everybody or something <laughs> like that? Yeah, he's not lacking for support. He's not lacking for anything like that for people to understand him. Um, and he's doing everything, according to him, for one of the sons of the Prophet Muhammad. The imam. Like. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see how you think it's a little heavy-handed at times with some of the messages. But, I mean, there's a lot of messages in here. A lot more than just the treatment of women. You know, a lot more than, like, the society thing. And I, one of the things that I loved about what the director did that I could relate to a little bit in terms of our cultures is he's doing a movie about how you can glorify serial killers. So it's not necessarily yes. done the same way in this movie yep. as it's done in America, yep. where in this one it's because, you know, they think it's a large part of society thinks it's good that he's quote-unquote cleaning up the streets. Right. And so there's a whole, like, the the court of public opinion would have let this guy walk free and continue to do this. And he killed right. somewhere between, like, 16 and 19 women. Yeah. In America, it's not a whole lot different and, and we have these conversations a lot where you've got people like Jeffrey Dahmer and Gacy and Bundy that are basically rock stars. Like, they are glorified. There's almost a celebrity culture around the serial killers. Yeah. And this is the same thing, but from a different angle. Even his son starts to idolize him, and that's one of the most chilling moments of the movie. There's a point where sort of a post-conclusion thing where his son is maybe going to take up the mantle and it taught, you know, it has that whole generational, you know, this attitude this misogynistic attitude is handed down and how many people see this as, as a heroic thing. It's pretty wild. I, I'm always uh, enamored by those people who uh, marry serial killers and stuff like that when yeah. they're in prison. Yeah. I'd like to get me a girl. In, I know. In I prison. know. Like, man, we're, and I was, I was talking to you. What do you got to do? Do? Do, do? Kill someone around <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, she was like, some women just want to know where their man is all the time, yeah. is yeah. in prison all the time. Oh, maybe I'll fall in love with a female killer. Maybe <laughs> right? I should That's start visiting saying. some prisons. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Always know where she is. You have to, there's no jealousy or anything like that. Hey, wasn't there, so this, this guy becomes known as the spider killer. Wasn't that the killer in Watcher we talked about? Wasn't right. that also yeah, the, the spider, spider killer? Yep. Easterners love to call killers spider killers. It's a whole, th that's a cultural thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and actually, the, um, there's a documentary about this. Part of this, part of the idea, from what I understand, that where um, Abbasi got the idea, he, he was a 
student in Tehran when this was happening, 2000, 2001. And he said he was fascinated by the the public response that there were people who were like supporters and uh, cheering on this killer. And uh, then there was a movie made called Along Came a Spider, not the Grisham or, you know, who's uh, Freeman, Morgan Freeman, not that movie. Yeah. Ashley Judd, but along came this, uh, a spider, the documentary about this, um, this actual killer. So I thought that was interesting. And, you know, we talked about to, I, I want to reference you brought it up again. Last week, we talked about the idea of, of what happens after the movie, when you have these revenge movies where, well, okay, now you've gotten revenge, you've killed the guys or whatever, but then what happens next? <laughs> I, I think something that we missed when we talked about I Spit on Your Grave is that the the tagline to the movie that's on the poster and it's in the trailer is, this woman has just cut, mutilated, chopped, burned uh, five men, even though it's four, and no jury in this country would convict her. I think that's, we kind of, I think we missed the point of the movie is that the the attack is supposed to be so far over the line, so heinous, so unquestionably beyond the pale that she won't get convicted. So we're supposed to know that going into it, that that's why it's showing you so much brutality, because at the end of it, nobody's going to say that she should be uh, punished for that. Well, like the uh, biopic about, uh, I forget her name, but it's called Candy, like Jessica Biel. It's about the woman who killed another woman who attacked her in her neighborhood and she bludgeoned her 40 times with an oh, axe. Have we seen that? No. I... And there's also HBO Love and Death with uh, Olsen, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen in it. But anyway, the thing was is she went so over over the top. She killed this woman 40, hit her 40 times with an axe and that it was too much. So that makes me wonder like, these things where you set up this elaborate trap for somebody to come into, like in, I spit on your grave and you strangle them or whatever. <laughs> like, is that stuff going to get, you know, uh, considered in court? But that's what the, this movie kind of answers that question, which hardly any other horror movies ever go to that point. Like the repercussions of the justice system after you've done all this shit because we often get these giant climax conclusions of horror films then it's like okay well then what happens to you well they, i mean this is the opposite they're, they're the the whole court part of this the authorities are looking for any possible way they can to let this guy off the hook right i mean to your point trent sure. you brought up like they're like hey nudge nudge aren't you crazy Yes. And he's like, no. He, he won't go along with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so funny. <laughs> I mean, they're they're literally, the entire, even from the beginning when when she first shows up and starts investigating it, even the authorities are like, you're not going to turn this into like a spectacle. You're not going to make this a big right. deal. And it's like, right. the movie starts, I think he's already killed nine people. And, and they're like, you're not going to turn this into a spectacle. Well, well dude, there's nine Sorry. people already dead. We're going to get up to like, you know, pushing 20 here. Yeah, and, and, and I think ultimately... Everything that happens once he's in the system, it's all about political pressure. Everything that happens from that point on is not really about serving justice, but it's about who can be pressured the most which way, and that's you know going to decide the case. I don't think it was a real blowjob, Dave. That was I wanted to dispute. Really? No, I I don't think that that was an unsimulated. I think that was a simulated blowjob. Is my opinion. Let us know. 
you listen to the show. <laughs> uh, speak all evil pod on Instagram. Let us know if, if you, you think, think the blowjob in Holy Spider was simulated or unsimulated. It's so dark. <laughs> um, I, oh. I don't know how you not end there. Yeah, that was a good ending. Okay. No, I mean, keep talking, but, you know, you're the editor, no, so no, work your magic. Let me get talk about, uh, come back and talk about the population of Tehran. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, it's going to be a uh, skeleton crew here, just me and Kevin getting together to talk about a couple newer films, one called Cadaver from 2020 on Netflix and a movie called The Feast from 2021 on Hulu.